Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this will be on the stomach um, title, gastric malignancies, adenocarcinoma, gist, and beyond. And whenever I speak about the stomach, I always like to speak about technique because I think the success of almost every CT exam, but especially the stomach, is really based on technique. If you don't have good technique, you're going to overcall or undercall the presence of pathology. So in saying that, when I think about the stomach, I think of four things, distension, opacification, display, and enhancement pattern. So looking at that further, when we think about the stomach, classic definition of wall thickness was under a centimeter, typically in the 7 to 10 millimeter range. But the fact is with newer scanners, better distension, we're typically talking in the 3 to 5 millimeter range. But again, the caveat is that the stomach must be well distended. I'll also comment in a little bit the two areas that are trickiest of the gastric fundus near the GE junction, as well as in the antrum, where the antrum can be up to 12 millimeters in thickness, and we'll come and discuss that a bit further. Classic example of normal stomach, you can see very nicely, the wall is barely measurable. Nicely shown against the water or nicely shown against the air. And whether it's axial plane or coronal plane or whether it's in 3D volume rendering, you very nicely see the wall. You see some subtle enhancement of the gastric wall, but there's no thickening, nodularity, or infiltration. And you can imagine if there was pathology present, it would be kind of easy to see because we've been able to look at it against the uh, stomach, against the uh, well-distended stomach. You also can see in this case uh, the... the uh, well opacified small bowel, and also the fact the patient has transverse colon thickening consistent with colitis. Now, whether you use water or a neutral contrast agent or a positive contrast agent, the same principles apply. So here's a normal stomach, well distended with oral omnipaque. And you think about that stomach and compare it to this case where the patient's fundus looks good, but then you get to the body and antrum and there's diffuse infiltration. And you can see very nicely, this is a bulky gastric adenocarcinoma, but very easy to recognize whether it's the positive contrast, but the infiltration and the change in appearance. Now, you think about those two cases and you compare it to this case and you say, what do I do here? Is this an understended stomach? Is this gastric pathology? What's going on? Or in this case, is this gastric malignancy? Is this infiltration by tumor? Or is it simply non-distended stomach? You can see it in coronal and sagittal, but you can see it's very problematic because what are you going to say in the report? Probably normal, probably abnormal, indeterminate, stomach's not well distended, advised clinical correlation. None of those three are really good choices in this case. And when you think about this patient who was scanned several months earlier, and the reason this patient's stomach is not distended is because the patient was NPO for a endoscopy to look at the pancreas and look at a pancreatic cyst. If you think about this patient a few months earlier, here's the patient with a well-distended stomach. You can see the multiple folds in the stomach. You can see the multiple polypoid lesions. This patient had over 100 benign polyps, adenomatous polyps. You can see it well when the stomach's distended. On the prior images, you cannot see it at all. Well, what about this case? Well, I can tell you this is the maximum distension of the stomach. This is pathology. This is diffuse infiltration of the stomach. 
by infiltrating a tumor. This was patient with Zollinger Ellison syndrome. So again, very, very important to, uh, to look at that. I mentioned before the challenges, fundus, and antrum. In the antrum, we typically talk about eccentric thickening over 12 millimeters would be abnormal, but when it's symmetric, then it will be normal. So you look at this case and you see the antrum, it measures more than five millimeters, about 11 or 12, but you can see it enhances normally, it's symmetric, there's no irregularity. This is a normal antrum, and here it is again on 3D. So again, very, very important to recognize that there are some exceptions to the rule Maybe they're not exceptions, but different portions of the stomach can be a little bit different. So very important to recognize that and not overcall the presence of antropathology. And I've seen that happen a number of times. Now you can see when there is antropathology, like in this case, it's asymmetric, there's abnormal enhancement, the stomach's distended, there's residual food matter, there's stranding around the stomach. And it's totally different. The nice symmetry, the nice perfect appearance and enhancement is not shown in this case. And you can see it as we go through multiple images very nicely, the infiltration of the stomach. And if you're uncertain, you look at the coronal view, you can see it very nicely with the antrum, uh, really nicely infiltrated by tumor. Again, adenocarcinoma, gastric antrum, the antrum is irregular, the enhancement, it's more than 12 millimeters, so it's not going to be a problem, and I'm showing you multiple images. This case also makes a good point on some of the findings I like to speak about in the stomach. Patients can eat before they come to CT, but when you see an appearance like this, where it looks like food matter that's been around for a while, you have to think about the patient having gastric outlet obstruction from whatever cause it is, and that's residual food matter. That's a very good sign. It makes me look at things a whole lot more carefully. Now, if you ask me what our protocol for dedicated stomach is at Hopkins, 1,000 cc's of water, or all OmniPay given over 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Then we use IV contrast, Omni 350, typically injected at 4 to 5 cc's a second. Depending on the scenario, we'll either use a single-phase injection an acquisition, typically venous, maybe with a 50-second delay, or perhaps we'll do dual-phase imaging at 30 and 70 seconds. It will depend specifically on the pathology I'm looking at. Now, I mentioned that we like to have patients drink lots of water before a CT scan, but not eat. You can see if patients eat before a CT, there's residual matter in the stomach. That at times potentially can confuse you. You can see here, is there a lesion in the stomach or here with positive contrast? And then you look and you say, well, if I'm doing 3D, is this going to be real? Is this tumor infiltration? Is this some irregularity, ulcerations, some abnormality, or is it simply artifact? And in this case, it was simply artifact. So it's very important that we ask the patients not to eat for three hours before a study. Again, I could recognize in most cases like this that there is matter in the stomach that probably is going to be something the patient ate, but it can cause problems. Like I've seen cases like this where people read these as small polypoid enhancing lesions and it's simply a pill. So there are a number of pitfalls. Usually you can avoid them as in this case, but it's something again from a technique perspective, have the patients not eat, but have them drink lots of fluids. That can be very helpful. Now, I mentioned about phase of acquisition, that the portal phase is usually very good for routine stuff in the stomach. 
arterial phases, we're looking at things like suspected tumors, perhaps just tumors or staging or looking at GI bleeding, then we do dual phase imaging. Surely in terms of adenocarcinoma of the stomach, the venous phase is best for looking at liver mets. It may be the best phase for detecting small nodes because it's easy to differentiate nodes from vessels. And in fact, one challenge at times with the arterial phase, it may be too early to appreciate changes in the mucosa and submucosa as seen in carcinoma. And here's a nice example where you see the patient's uh, arterial phase is just not enough enhancement. The venous phase shows you a little bit better the mucosa and submucosa, and you can see the tumor infiltration there or on these images. So with arterial phase, you may not get that very good differentiation, and that could indeed be very important. And here, you see the difference between normal and abnormal enhancement of the stomach, and again, showing it to you in a number of different projections. Okay, very, very important, and it can be a pitfall. Um, so it's important to make certain you don't only have very early images. Now, in terms of protocols, I'll show you 16 and 64. Just to make the point, we need thin sections at close spacing. We will do multiplanar and we will do 3D imaging. So typically 0.75 uh, every 0.5 millimeters works very nicely. Analysis requires axial images and multiplanar and 3D imaging. You can see some of the potential pitfalls. This was thought to be a mass in the gastric fundus. And when you look quickly, you see what appears to be a mass, and I circled it for you. But you also, when you look carefully, see cirrhosis of the liver and very large varices. When you see cirrhosis, I'm always thinking about varices. I'm always thinking about pseudo-lesions. And you can see very nicely as I go through this example, this patient had varices in the gastric fundus, varices in the celiac axis and portal cable space. In fact, this patient's presentation with GI bleeding and it was secondary to these large varices. So again, you want to be careful. Do not overcall something, a gastric cancer, when it's really varices. And you can see in this example the same thing. Sometimes when the varices are very large, it's not going to be a problem. Sometimes, like the prior case, when the varices are a bit smaller, it then becomes more of a problem. And you can see that on the coronal views very nicely. So I don't think you should have a problem, but again, you can see these are venous phase images. If you only had the arterial phase images, it can be more problematic because the varices may not be enhancing. Then it simulates nodes, simulates masses, it simulates tumor. So again, a very important point. Now, in terms of looking at the stomach with water, you can see very nicely the polypoid lesions, in this case of a patient with familiar polyposis. As you go to 3D, it truly can accentuate all of these polypoid masses. It's a very unusual case, but you're not going to confuse this with something as simple as someone having eaten something before the CT scan. And another case of polyposis, um, gastric polyps, again, you look quickly and say, well, maybe this is some foreign matter in the stomach. But as you look a bit, little bit closer, as you go from axial to coronal, it becomes very clear the patient has large polypoid lesions, particularly in the fundus, very nice for a case of polyposis. The 3D imaging focusing on the volume rendering, focusing on the polyps against the water is particularly nice. 
Now, I just showed you a few cases with water as a contrast agent. When would water not be an ideal contrast agent? Well, I think if you're looking for a fistula, surely, this patient, uh, you look at the stomach, there's a potential mass, posterior aspect of the stomach. What's going on with the patient's colon by the splenic flexure? Hard to say much here, but when you go to contrast, look how nicely you see the fistula from stomach to colon. This was a gastrocolic fistula due to tuber. Very easy to see. And we make this point if you're looking for a gastric ulcer, a duodenal ulcer in this patient with a pneumoperitoneum, positive contrast shows you not only the contrast extravasation in the peritoneal cavity as a positive uh, structure, but also the site of the perforation. Very nicely seen there. So again, a good example of where positive contrast is very, very critical. Now, one of the interesting things people have looked at in terms of doing the stomach is doing virtual gastroscopy. Think about it as virtual colonoscopy for the stomach, the ability to do 3D imaging, creating not only multiplanar, but luminal images in the stomach. So here's a very nice example where you can see the folds of the stomach, opening the stomach up very, very nicely, thickening gastric folds. You can see that here as well. Well, you can see in this case, multiple polypoid lesions in the stomach, nicely shown in the coronal view, and nicely shown in 3D. If you want to do virtual gastroscopy, the best way is to give the patient fizzies, distend the stomach with air. Then it's basically the same software you use for doing colonoscopy. And here's one more example where there's infiltration of the antrum. You can see the polypoid lesions here, which in fact on endoscopy were benign gastric polyps as opposed to this case with this infiltration of the stomach, classic carcinoma, very bulky. If you take that camera and you put it inside the stomach, then you see the very large gastric folds. Now it's interesting, we did a lot of this, but it hasn't really caught on. Yet if you look at the literature, this article by Lee and Co showed that it had a higher tumor detection rate, 93% versus 64%. Uh, it showed more accuracy in terms of staging, accuracy 77% for CT axials alone versus 84% with volumetric. So again, uh, particularly important uh, when we're doing CT and you want to get the optimal study, you need to be thinking of what technique works best. Okay, so that's the principles of uh, doing the CT. What about interpretation? And let me just get started and then we'll, you know, we'll take a short break. Gastric adenocarcinoma, 650,000 deaths worldwide. In the U.S., the incidence has decreased over the past 60 years. It's rare before age 40. And unfortunately, most patients usually have advanced disease at presentation. There are certain known risk factors, pernicious anemia, H. pylori, up to six times the increase, S disease, and the unusual post-resection stomach cancer, which is up to 16, or rather six times more common after about 20 years. There are also a number of syndromes associated with increased incidence of gastric cancer. Hereditary diffuse gastric cancer, Lynch syndrome, juvenile polyposis syndrome, Pooch-Jagers, and familial polyposis. And let me just spend a moment going through those. Juvenile polyposis syndrome, it's rare autosomal dominant syndrome, polyps along the GI tract and associated with increased risks of GI cancer. Lifetime risk of developing GI cancer varies from 9 to 
depending on the type of mutation. In patients with gastric polyps, it carries a lifetime risk of 21% for developing gastric cancer, a very high number. In Poots-Jaegers, which is also autosomal dominant, a different mutation is characterized by mucocutaneous pigmentation. It's characterized by GI polyposis with an increased risk of developing GI cancers, 29% lifetime risk of gastric cancer, and finally, familiar polyposis Inherited autosomal dominant colorectal cancer syndrome, mutant germline. Uh, again, typically we think about adenomous colorectal polyps that become carcinoma, but upper GI polyps can also become carcinoma. The majority of gastric polyps are non-adenomous benign polyps, uh, but uh, you can have uh, uh, gastric adenomous polyps which can lead to gastric cancer in patients with familiar polyposis. So I just wanted to make you aware that there are some syndromes. Although the syndromes are rare, if you're valuing the patient, you want to make certain you're looking very carefully at the stomach. We typically are looking at the colon, but look at the stomach as well. Now, if I get a little bit more into gastric cancer, before I do that, let's take a break and come back in a couple of minutes. Okay, see you in a few moments. 